0: this week on Writers Inc. That one book, you're just filled with adrenaline. You you know, you just you just want to get these words on paper. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, you're, you're getting this life story out of you. It's after that where I believe the real work begins, where you start to build your prose, build your craft, craft better stories, and it's hard work. Sitting down in front of the computer with, you know, the equivalent of a digital blank space in front of you is so difficult and you know to churn out books which are you know 250 350 pages you know year after year, uh, month after month, is really hard work. And when there isn't the light at the end of the tunnel, when there isn't something pulling you forward saying, yeah, things are getting better, you know, Uh, if if you just get this next book out and build that reader base a little bit more, you're going to make it. Because it wasn't helped, you know, I, I wasn't heading in that direction. I was at a real crossroads roads where I was considering not writing anymore. You know, why put myself through this every day?
1: J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.B. Barker and indie powerhouses. Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon, as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name?
2: Get your notepad out, schools in session. This is Writer's Inn. I'm pretty proud to say I've, I'm, I'm checking a bucket list item today. You know, when I was a weed lad growing up in uh, Western Pennsylvania, I often dreamt of spending Thanksgiving Day recording a podcast and talking about writing, and uh, here it is. I mean, they, you know, they said, don't dream, little boy, but I did, and uh, and all of my dreams have come true.
3: Oh, man, I'm getting teary just listening to it.
2: <laughs> Who are you?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. How'd you get in here? Yeah, how'd you get in here?
1: <laughs> There's there three of us last few weeks. I'm Zoom crashing. <laughs> <laughs> i like how you decide to come back on a holiday after after missing a couple episodes <laughs>
2: of course
3: do you have to change the intro to like special guest host Thorne?
2: <laughs> i'm ready i'm ready just keep it coming i mean joanna emailed me and she's like i haven't heard you are you okay i'm like i'm fine i'm doing okay thanks for asking
3: <laughs> i've got a cold and i'm losing my voice so i gotta get it all out now before before the voice is gone
4: joanna said she liked my interviews better though right
2: Oh, yeah, of course. That's what course. you told
3: me. Yeah.
2: No, I mean, in, in all seriousness, guys, I don't know if you what you've been hearing, but some of the messages I've been getting from last week's interview with Alex has been amazing. Yeah. Like people waiting in their like staying in their cars and going in late to work to finish the interview. Like it was it nuts.
3: <laughs> I, I've got everybody and their mother telling me they want to be a co-author. So I'm trying to sort through all this stuff on my my Kindle. Yeah, you asked for it, buddy. <laughs> I, I I did. Um, you know what though? I actually found. Um, it's it's tough to read other people's stuff and like especially when it's not it hasn't been edited. You know, like there, a lot of people are just sending me pages from whatever they're working on now, which is kind of neat. But like I, I tend to print them out and start going through with the, the pen. Um, and I had like a stack on my desk. I had to replace a toner and my drum and stuff in my printer. <laughs> Um, and I'm like, there must be a better way. So I start looking at the, the Amazon Kindles and like none of them have the ability to actually write on the screen. Like you can highlight. Oh, they do. They've got a new one. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Kindle Scribe. Scribe. Yeah. yeah. Coming out November 30th. So it's a little bit bigger. From what I gather, it's about the same size as an iPad, um, but it comes with a pen so you can you can yeah. write. It'll convert the text to, you know, hopefully it'll be able to convert my terrible handwriting into text.
2: Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I ordered one. Yeah, oh, good. I'm getting one one, here's I'm what I want to know. I love the Kindle highlight feature. I want to know if you take notes with this pen, with the stylus, can you still send the Kindle highlights to your email address? You got to let us know about that. I know you can do that. I found it somewhere in one of the descriptions.
3: Um, (laughs) What the hell was that? (laughs) I just saw Kristen's face go like go total white.
4: I wasn't keeping track of the time. (laughs) Uh, Jeff, when you
1: hear the recess bell, you can go ahead and edit that out. No, leave that in. This is awesome. <laughs> Anyways, think, all right, let's talk about the Kindle some more.
3: Oh, uh, yeah. So my, my only thing is, um, you know, like I've got a brand new paperweight, um, but they seem very slow as far as being responsive. And like that drives me nuts, too. You know, yeah. I like tap on the screen and try to type. So I'm really hoping they change something with this new one, because if it moves at the pace of the the other Kindles, then I'm going to probably be back to working on my iPad or paper.
1: Now, what's the... What, what's the I think I might have missed it. Like, what's the reason you want the Kindle specifically with the pencil so that you can uh, are you like hoping you can mark up Kindle books?
3: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Kindle. What I'm trying to avoid is um, back when I did the the book doctor thing, my normal process is I would print out the book, usually triple spaced, and I would write all my comments and stuff on paper because I just I found that it was easier to do it when I was working on paper. Um, But, you know, with all these co-authors, like I just I don't want to start killing that many trees. I'm trying to find an electronic way to do it. Um, I, I, using my laptop, like reading on my laptop feels too much like work, you know, so like on a Kindle, like it's just enough, you know, where it's, it leans towards relaxation where I can, I could do that, but I need to be able to make notes, um, you know, simple notes or whatever, and then be able to export it and send it off to the, the people that I'm working with. So I, I know there's other devices out there other than Kindle that'll do that sort of thing. Um, so if this one doesn't work, you know, by all means, if you've got suggestions, send them in, um, I,
1: I've had many with the pencil, that's what I use. Okay. And you can you can mark up PDFs and everything. Circle but it's backlit, stuff. right? Yeah, but I mean, like, it is backlit, but I mean, it's still a happy medium between. It's better than a computer. I mean, it's the size of a Kindle. And I mean, like, yeah, it's backlit, but I don't think that in this case, to me, it, for my preference, it doesn't matter as much. And what I worry about is what JD mentioned. The Kindle OS is so slow. And, like, I just wonder how it's going to react if you start trying to mark up a bunch of stuff in there on, like, a PDF or something. So this is, like, blazing fast. So, I mean, I like, in that instance, it doesn't bother me having a backlit thing personally. Yeah, that's, that's
3: probably where I'll go next. Um, the new Kindle is, is backlit, and it's supposed to have some type of sensor to adjust based on the light in the room. Um, but I, I, you know, I haven't gotten it yet. I think it ships on the 30th of November. Didn't you buy an iPad recently? I did, but now it's in the gym, um, uh, okay. and I'm, and I'm lazy. I don't want to have to run all the way across the house to, to get and it. I, I, I understand it. that, so yeah, it's, it's tied to the treadmill. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah. Well,
3: well, there's so many jokes in there. Too. I'm not going
2: to go near it.
4: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I um, ordered one for myself for Christmas. And I told my husband, "I'm like, it's coming. You just wrap it when it gets here." So nice. it's done. I'm getting a scribe. So <laughs> we'll have to I'll be interested to hear <laughs> what, how, what
1: how y'all think about it. So.
3: I, they, they must have upped the performance because, you know, this is obviously a, you know, a two-way street type, you know, from a device. Like, you're, they're they're expecting people to do work on this thing to a certain extent. Um, there's no way they could try to pull that off with the original OS and, and hardware. Uh, it, it's pricier for sure. It was 300-some bucks, you know, versus like a Kindle, which I think the entry level is only like 100, right? Um, I, the one that I had was a Paperweight Signature, which I think was 189. That's like the highest. Um, and there's something called the Oasis, too, which is just another design
1: that's just a really fancy kindle that basically has extra on the side that you can hold (laughs) like that's pretty much the only thing i will say with the if you if you do end up trying the ipad route too um you can also get a uh, screen protector that feels like you're writing on paper oh okay they it's called like a paper like um and it's it's uh, i don't have one on this but i have used one and it's pretty incredible uh, it really does feel more like you're writing on paper and not just like on a screen. So,
2: well, um, I haven't been here for years. So, uh, what are you guys working on these days?
3: Honestly, I think we're all on the exact same projects we were working on the last time we talked to you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we moved that ago. slow. <laughs> I've, uh, I mean, I,
1: I'm, I'm on like, uh, I just today actually um, got to the point with uh, Dead Wrong, which is the seventh book of my Dead Soft series, um, where self. I've got it. I've gone through all my editor stuff and I've got it on my Kindle now. So um, it's basically like I took a bunch of notes on my iPad on a note and uh, I got to go through and there's some more stuff I have to fix, but uh, I'm planning on it's going to come out in the middle of December and, um, and then I'm going to focus on writing the last book, which I've I mentioned last week I've already started, but I haven't really made any progress. And um, another thing I did this week, which was really, um, which was really nice was I, I, I planned out 2023 and, um, I didn't come up with goals. I don't, you know, Jay, I know Jay, I know we're not big goal people, but I, I wrote down, um, basically like a schedule of the things I want to do and when I want to do them and the different projects I want to work on and stuff and some things I want to focus on in 2023. So, um, that felt really good because a lot of stuff's been going through my head and I, to sit down and actually write it down and see kind of a game plan in place, like made me feel really, really good. So, uh,
2: that was pretty exciting. Excellent. Excellent. How about you, Christine? What are you working on these days?
4: I'm still waiting for my print cover. So that's how slowly things have moved from last week. But yeah, I'm still working on the same stuff. But Jay has already heard me talk about this, but I'm going to talk about it again, because I think writers and listeners need ergonomic tips. So I had a repetitive use injury in my index finger from all the clicking that I do, Um, probably because I use a MacBook and they're like notorious for being awful for you know, they're that horrible kind of stuff. yeah
1: yeah i can't use the keyboard
4: right the keyboard's horrible the trackpad is horrible and like i've just been in pain for like months and one of my writer friends told me to get a vertical mouse yep. like dude this is the best money i've ever spent my pain is gone oh you've got one too they're the best
1: oh yeah i have that and I'm i have like, like the split keyboard too
4: yeah oh my god i want to see that keyboard yeah that's cool yeah
1: yeah.
4: So yeah, I was just like delighted. So that was my tip of the week. Get a vertical mouse. That's it. I,
1: I'm so glad I'm not the only person that has the issues with the lap the MacBook keyboards because uh it it's it they like my they hurt my finger so bad. Like and I can't use a trackpad or anything. It's you guys would laugh actually if you came here because I have like probably five different keyboards sitting near my desk because I've tried so many different ones and I have different ones I use for different things, which I know sounds ridiculous. Um, and totally make fun of me. I don't care. But, uh, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, but the vertical mouse, I just bought a different one. Actually, my other one broke finally. So I bought a nicer one. Yeah, it's, it's,
2: yeah, you got the Logitech, uh,
1: vertical one too. So it's, yeah, that's an awesome tip.
2: Wow. Uh, well, this this episode brought to you by Apple. Uh, you guys are really selling the, selling the product line here. Hey, it brought to today? you by Logitech. Like I have all these
1: Logitech <laughs> keyboards and mice in front of me and stuff. So.
3: You're, you're making me sad. My wife actually has an old MacBook Pro from like 2002 because uh, it still has that old keyboard, the, the one that was actually really nice. To that one on. was
1: good. The older ones yeah. were awesome. It's like the yeah. last
3: MacBook where you, like we swapped out the hard drive, the memory, all those kind of things. You can't do that at all anymore in a Mac, and like she refuses to get rid of it for that reason. Um, but yeah, every time I use her Mac, I feel I miss that keyboard. And now you, Yeah, like, to you me, me all all,
1: if they would just make a, a, a laptop with plastic keys instead of metal, like to for me that would totally fix it. Like it's those metal keys that are flat, like they they kill my fingers and hurt my fingers.
3: Jay Jay is nodding off over there. <laughs> I, could, I could see his eyes starting to shift.
1: Well, he can leave again and come back <laughs> another week.
3: So. We should probably do business stuff, right? Um, I, I was actually, I was trying to find publishing news, and, and there literally isn't anything. And I don't know if it's because it's Thanksgiving week or what. Um, HarperCollins is still on strike. Um, Stephen King and Elon Musk are at war, which is kind of nice over Twitter. Um, but I mean, other than that, I guess all is right in the world. There's There's nothing to really talk about on that front.
4: I see got that the um, Penguin Random House Simon Schuster merger Paramount the, Paramount, the parent company of Simon and Schuster, is letting the merger deal with Penguin expire, so there won't be an a- appeal. Um, Penguin Random House is paying Paramount two hundred million dollars in termination fee, and they're going to try Ooh. again. So uh, I saw Harper Collins was interested. Weird timing with the strike, but we'll see how that goes.
2: It seems as though uh, it's just a bunch of dumpster fires going on in Bob, right now. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. Between strikes and mergers and failed acquisitions, it just seems like everything's a mess.
3: No comment from the peanut, the peanut gallery.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to right. save my
3: voice.
2: <laughs> Let's take care of some business and get to the interview. Let's give a shout out to our friends over there at Word and Pixel. If you're looking for a spiffy new website, check out the Writers Inc. one. That was designed by them. And you can get to that at wordandpixel.com. Also, a wonderful uh, thank you to our friends in the north there at Coba Writing Life. They empower you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands. Don't forget you set your price, you keep all your rights, they have monthly promotional opportunities, and all of those benefits with no exclusivity. Link in the show notes or get it at KoboWritingLife.com. JD, who do we got on the interview seat this week? I'm going to throw this one right back to Zach.
3: This was one of your friends, right? Uh, buddy, me, and Jay's, yeah, um,
1: and, which I'm sure we'll talk about after interview, but you, you, th- you threw me off here, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, today we've got um, dad, dad, Yeah, <laughs> my dad coming on, Dan Padavana, Um <laughs> Jay, you're making me laugh so hard, Dan, pa- I'm sorry, Dan, Dan Padavana. Um, who is an amazing uh, indie thriller author and uh, has been a buddy of me and Jay's now for you know eight, nine years, something like that. Uh, he has a pretty incredible story and, uh, and, and kind of how his career has changed and, and all that, which he's going to talk about right now. So here he is, Dan Padavana.
2: Dan, I'm thinking about purchasing some property um, in the kingdom of Mylon near Drummond Meadows. Uh, I was wondering if you had any recommendations of places.
0: Well, you want to stay away from uh, the Dread Wolves. <laughs> so that's that's what I would suggest at this point. <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. Can you believe it's it's been – it's going on
2: eight years since we published Shadow Witch? Oh, my
0: goodness. Yeah, I mean that uh, – it seems like yesterday I was writing that book, and, you know, things just move and change so quickly. And, uh, yeah, uh, I was – Actually, thinking about that book very recently because I was watching the um, Amazon Prime uh, rendition of the world of, uh, of of Wheel of Time, which uh, I just finished that uh, that series actually in book form as well, and that that brought me back to a lot of uh, a lot of those uh, stories that, that we were telling back then, and <laughs> kind of the the very dark fantasy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, for, for the listener who might not know the history, you and I co-wrote a book called Shadow Witch in 2015. Yeah, spring of 2015, we published it. And uh, yeah, it was sort of dark, dark fantasy, somewhat horror-ish. Um, <clears throat> we both love the story. It's still one of my favorite stories commercially. Um, <laughs> didn't do so well uh i'm gonna just preempt zach struck out yeah zach's gonna make fun of us because we had uh, the tagline that was all wrong and he felt like the audience was all wrong but that's all under the bridge and i know he'll bring it back up anyway so i'm just beating him to the punch but i love that story man i really did i'm i've you know honestly still kind of disappointed we missed the mark on it
0: yeah i've kind of found over the years that I, I don't know that you can predict what's going to happen with these books, and I'm often surprised. You know, sometimes for the you know for for good, sometimes for bad. Um, I I love that story. I, I thought that it it had a lot of potential, and you know perhaps we just uh, you know mismarketed it. Maybe it just wasn't the right time, or it's just you know the universe didn't quite line up for us. But yeah, that's, that's one I uh, I I often will push on people who haven't read my stuff and. Um, I always get good feedback, so, you know, if only people had read it.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, and the people who have liked it, and, and it's got good ratings exactly. on Amazon, you know, it's not like, um, it, it's not like th- there's fundamentally a problem with the story, but, you know, but like, in all seriousness, though, no, I, I think this is something that it's hard for maybe younger, inexperienced writers to wrap their head around, which is,
0: if you could plan a bestseller, then everyone who wrote a book would write a bestseller. That's right. And, and also, you know, you just cannot gauge your success, your future success based on, you know, one per failure or, or, or one, you know, just knocked it out of the park with the first book. You know, I, I don't think that that is necessarily indicative of your future success. And if you, if you write good stories, then you need to keep putting them out there and you need to keep building your craft and trust that you know you'll learn as you go along uh that there are tricks to you know getting you know getting your books in front of people um you'll gain those skills as you go along but also it's i think there is a, an element of luck to it and it's um it's it's a matter of time too to to build your target audience
2: yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I think luck and timing, you know, like, uh, I, I don't think either of us are in a place right now where we want to write epic fantasy, but it feels as though we might have been really early on that, you know, like, you look at the the shows that are on the streaming platforms, you know, especially the high profile ones, like, you know, Wheel of Time and Lord of the Rings and the Game of Thrones spinoff. And, you know, if if we were, here we are almost eight years later, if we were starting this now, I kind of feel like might be a whole different approach, you know, um, the length of the book, the marketing, the title, all of that. I kind of feel like, um, you know, we just might've been early.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and the other thing which strikes me too, is, is how dark a lot of fantasy has become these days that, uh, you know, the, 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 game of Thrones, uh, you know, HBO version, uh, is extremely dark. Not that the books aren't. Um, of course, the books are unfinished, so we're not sure how dark is going to end, if ever they, they end. Uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, between that, you know, the, where, where the Wheel of Time went um, and, yeah, where the Lord of the Rings spinoff seems to be going. Yeah, things are, are uh, quite a bit darker in fantasy these days than I think that they, that, that they once were.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it ties in, really well to what we're talking about today because uh, you have a fascinating journey. You've, um, you've reinvented yourself, <laughs> well, a number of times, but uh, specifically when it comes to writing and, and, and publishing, you've had quite a transformation. So maybe we could start by having you tell folks how you got into self-publishing and, and sort of uh, what kind of things were you writing and what was your mindset at the time?
0: Well, I published my first book and actually began writing it in February of two thousand and fourteen. I think I had it out by August of, of the same year. Um, that was a a throwback uh, horror novel in in the vein of something like um, uh, Twenty Eight Days Later or Stephen King's uh, Salem's Lot. Uh, it was a it was a book called Strawberry. Uh, I'm I'm proud of that I wrote it. Um, I've certainly done a lot better since then, uh, but having uh, I had this goal of of writing these very frightening novels, um, kind of like old Dean Kuhn's, uh, Stephen King, Jack Ketchum, and it just it never quite caught on. I, I worked on that for about four years, and which isn't necessarily enough time to gauge whether or not you're going to make it in this market or not, uh, but. Uh, I happened to be to be talking to another writer online one day and he'd mentioned to me that, you know, there there was no sector of horror which was growing uh, with readership on Amazon, especially in Kindle. And I, I believe he was using like Kalytics or something to make those decisions. Um, and that, that really struck me and it, it kind of resonated as well as, with things that I was seeing that Um, my, my print book sales were, were pretty much either growing very slightly or, or holding steady, whereas my ebook sales were actually falling for the most part from book to book, uh, in horror. And, you know, as I was doing a lot of in-person signings during that period as well, I also noticed too, that, um, you know. A lot of my readers, you know, weren't even interested in the fact that I had these books online that um, all they wanted was was paperback. And it just seemed to me like um, it was a readership which wasn't embracing new technology at all. Um, You know, nothing against horror, but, you know, I I write uh, and publish on Kindle. And to me, it's it's by far uh, my favorite way to read. And it's also the most efficient way to get books out there. Um, so after, you know, my friend had, had mentioned what he mentioned, um, I, I came up with the idea that day that I had to make a change. Either I was going to stop writing altogether, or I needed to find a genre which had a lot more juice in it and at least give myself a shot. And, you know, I, I, came up with, with the idea of like a Venn diagram, you've, you've got, um. You know, on one hand and in one, in one circle, you have all of the favorite books that you like to write and read. And in the other circle, you have, uh, everything which sells very well on Amazon and and Barnes and Noble, elsewhere. Uh, there is an overlap there and you have to find it. And that took a lot of searching, but it, you know, it just kind of struck me one day. Well, okay like silence of the lambs would fall right in between those and and manhunter or well actually it was called red dragon when when it first came out as a book uh by thomas harris and that that just seemed like why hadn't i ever thought of this before that uh you know more of these very dark mystery thriller type psychological thriller in some case type books uh which have a lot of horror undertones in them. But because they're thrillers and mysteries, it opens up all these other doors for where you can take characters, where you can take stories, where you can take story arcs. And that's the decision that I made right then and there is I'm gonna trend more towards the serial killer thriller since most of my horror novels involve some type of serial killer aspect or even like, you know, in strawberry, the vampires were, were pretty much like, uh, acted a lot like serial killers themselves. Um, it, it, so I came up with with the concept of this series called the Scarlet Bell series and which I envisioned it would be episodic. It would be somewhat like, uh, like a cross between like watching episodes of criminal minds or uh, mind hunter on Netflix. Uh, but, but darker um you know more like you know the hannibal lecter type books Um, and it took a while the first few books really came out to uh relatively to crickets Um, and (laughs) certainly my my old uh readership my horror readership wasn't the least bit interested uh, because i was writing in this new genre now and I knew that I had to completely rebuild myself from scratch. I, I was a new writer. I I was a new author, as far as you know, my readership was concerned. So I started to do uh, Facebook promotion. Uh, I was running ads. Um, I supplemented them somewhat with, uh, with with Amazon ads, and slowly but surely, I I found keywords and targets which which resonated. And people were buying my books, and I was actually making a small profit on the advertising. So I ramped it up, and I found more followers. And pretty soon, I had you know, a fair amount of followers on Facebook and, and my, uh, my newsletter. And that was kind of the start. Uh, Darkwater Cove was my next series. Um, that uh, probably increased my sales about tenfold, and it got me to the point where I was making real money. It wasn't retirement-type money, but it, it was making real money. And once I got to the end of the Darkwater Cope series, um, I was really starting to to uh, to make a, a, a decent living at this. Um, and next came the Wolf Lake series, in which I think I really opened up my mind as far as where stories could go and where characters could go. And and that's where things really took off, and uh, it almost became like a race against time at that point. Where you know, I had told my wife very jokingly at one point, "If I ever hit the point where my my sales were uh, as high as my income from from my real job, then maybe I'd walk away." And we were always like, "Yeah, right, that's going to happen," <laughs> um, and it was starting to happen. And when it did happen, I didn't feel safe in walking away because I remember those days. I remember those days where I was, you know, happy if I sold $50 worth of books, you know, over like three or four days, you know, and now I'm selling two, $300 of books in, in a day. Uh, so I made I drew the line uh, in the sand and I said, if I ever made twice my income, then I would retire. I'd feel safe at that point. And again, it was like, yeah, right, that's going to happen. Uh, and uh, once Wolf Lake came out and things really took off, uh, by the time that I had put in uh, at my job with the National Weather Service that I was uh, leaving in at the end of that summer, um, which stunned a lot of people, obviously, uh, at that point, I was up to making three times my salary, and it's actually higher than that now. Uh, so it just became such an easy decision and the last year, geez, I walked away uh, September 12th of 2021, so it's been over a year now and this, this last year has just been so magical. Um, I've had so much fun writing stories and just concentrating on my craft and, and enjoying life too. I mean, just being able to get out on, on a nice day and go hiking or, or ride my bike you know, things I could very rarely do when I was, you know, punching the clock, so to speak.
2: Man, it's such a, it's such an inspirational story. And I I can honestly tell you that, that the, all the folks connected to you uh, in the same circles of you, uh, as you were just cheering on, man, like, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, in, in, in your presence, but, um, We've all, myself and Zach and and Piper Brook and a number of other guys who who you know, were just thrilled to see that happening for you. I mean, it was um, you're you're just an incredible guy, and you're you're gracious and kind, and a lot of fun to be around. And we were just we were just rooting for you. And um, if you're comfortable, can, uh, if as much as you're willing to share, I'd love for you to share sort of the the level you're that you're at now because you started um. To selling to crickets. So can you give us some sense of your sales figures now?
0: Yeah, I was selling to crickets. Um, yesterday it was, was a fairly typical day for me and that, uh, my KDP revenue, which is what we see that comes out of Amazon on a daily basis in terms of page reads and sales. This does not include, uh, audiobook sales, um, on any platforms, um, I, it was something a little bit over $1300 dollars. and that's that's kind of a typical day for me. And to be honest with you, I'm not satisfied with that. <laughs> there, there are There are goals which I have which um, you know, I, I would like to see come to fruition in the next 12 months. And um, I'm, I'm pushing, you know, to make this these next 12 months, um, the greatest 12 months of, of my life and my writing career. Uh, I'm I'm upping my my uh, my game as far as like the amount of words that I, I put on the page every day, uh, the amount of stories which I'm I'm writing down for for future use, and uh, I think I I had shared this online in a writers group that I'm part of um, recently, but there was a 12 month period where I realized I'd actually sold a half million dollars through through KDP which shocked me. I didn't even realize that it had happened. I knew I was north of 350, but when I did the numbers, I was, I was just like knocked back. I had, I had to, to, you know, check a couple different times to make sure that that was correct, that those numbers are correct. Um, and, and I've, after even a lot of advertising dollars and, you know, book covers and, and narration costs, uh, production costs for audio books and whatnot. Um, I still, Profited I think somewhere in the 360 or 370 range. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was absolutely life-changing and, uh, stunning. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the, the opportunities for how we're going to retire when my wife leaves her job in a few years, um, and where we're going to go and where we're going to live. um, They're just opening up for us. Um, but you know, I, I've, not only as a writer, though, but I really feel that the last 12 months for me have been during during my entire life, not just my adulthood, um, the most growth of character, I, I think that I've I've ever experienced. Um, and it's, it's just been um, a, a time where I've been very grateful uh, for for all that the, uh, you know, the world has has given me. Um, I'm giving giving a lot back. Uh, and, um, I, I, my attitude has never been more positive. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are saying, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say, you sold $500,000 worth of the books just to KDP. Well, it, it, you know, part of, part of that though, of, of hitting those, those, uh, goals, uh, was, was, you know, changing my own attitude. I, I, think I'd always been one of those, um, glass half empty people kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and things, things to go wrong. Uh, and, and now, um, I don't even recognize that person. Um, I just, uh, you know, I spent, I spent a lot of time each day, you know, being grateful for, you know, the lives that we have for my family, for this wonderful career, which I now have this second career. And it's like a new lease on life. Um, I spent, uh, after I wrote yesterday morning, I, I spent the day, uh, just, uh, biking this, uh, my favorite trail in, in Ithaca, New York. And I was just, uh, you know, I was just so happy. I had my headphones on. I was listening to some uh, some of back in the day uh, alternative music from the 80s. And I was just so nostalgic. And I couldn't wipe the grin off my face. I, I just, I had never felt happier, you know, as an adult uh, over, than I have over the last 12 months.
2: Oh, man, I love that. And I'm I'm gonna resist the temptation to go down the uh, the 80s music rabbit hole with you because we you and I have a history <laughs> there too. Uh, but I want to I want to come back though, um, because in all fairness, uh, had you um, simply enjoyed the act of creation of of being a creator of being a writer, there was nothing wrong with continuing to write stories like Store or Shadow Witch, or any number of other um, horror titles for for that matter. So. What, what was it for you that, that made you, I don't want to say unsatisfied, but, but that, that clearly wasn't enough. Otherwise you just would have kept on that path.
0: The monetary aspect is is something which can't be ignored, you know, to, 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 again, issue, issue books to crickets constantly is, is just something which is uh, very draining. Um, And, and, you know, to be at it for four or five years, to have industry moguls you know people like um that i really look up to like uh like brian keen and and yourself and whatnot saying great things about me and yet it just doesn't move the needle um you know shortly before um i had made my switch brian was um setting me up to uh to to meet jack ketchum uh, uh, dallas um, who was basically my my horror idol you know i just love the man and um as it turns out tragically he the cancer finally took him um several months before we were to meet um and uh you know that that hurt as well um and i just i just found it all to be kind of like a wake-up call in that anybody who hasn't written you know, you know, more than like, you know, just for like that, that one book, you're just filled with adrenaline. You, you know, you just, you just want to get these words on paper. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, you're, you're getting this life story out of you. It's after that where I believe the real work begins, uh, where you start to, to build your prose, build your craft, craft better stories, um, and it's hard work and is, and, and, you know, you and I will both attest or, or JD or, or, or Zach sitting down in front of the computer with, you know, the, the equivalent of a digital blank space in front of you is so difficult and, you know, to churn out books, which are, you know, 250, 350 pages, you know year after year, uh, month after month is really hard work. And, you know, I may only put in like a, like a three hour day or, you know, writing and editing, uh, but I feel then like I've worked far more than I did when I was working nine hours for the National Weather Service. It's tough. And when there isn't the light at the end of the tunnel, when there isn't something pulling you forward saying, yeah, things are getting better. You know, Uh, if if you just get this next book out and build that reader base a little bit more, you're going to make it. Um, And and because it wasn't help, you know, I, I wasn't heading in that direction. I was at a real crossroads roads where I was considering not writing anymore. You know, why put myself through this every day? I could be out doing just about anything right now. Instead, I'm I'm slaving over this story. Um, So there had to be at least some type of reward for that, you know, not necessarily monetary, but, you know, at least if enough people were reading that, you know, you would be hearing feedback from from satisfied readers. And I was getting none of that. And uh, so yeah I, I felt like I was pretty much you know um, you know singing into to an empty room at that point
2: Oh man I can so relate uh, <laughs> uh, and, and I know that um, and you and I have had some private conversations and I've had some of the same thoughts and feelings um, that, that you had several years ago and I think one of the one of the challenges that you probably faced that I'm currently facing that a listener is probably facing if they're considering a pivot in their career is, how do you resist the temptation to be quote unquote unique (laughs) or to tell this really cool story to, to um, defy genre? Like we we sort of hear these, these artistic memes out there about, you know, you just do your own thing and be an individual, but that very rarely moves the needle. So how do you resist that temptation?
0: You just touched on one of my biggest pet peeves in not just our industry, but in art in general, because I have heard too many times, uh, not only in our community, but but uh, in all uh, aspects of, of art, people who say exactly what you just said, that uh, they are not going to sell out for, for the dollar. They are not gonna write for the masses uh, or produce any type of art for the masses. Um, they're gonna do their own thing and be completely unique. And then immediately turn around and complain that nobody is buying their stuff, <laughs> you know, and you can't have it that both ways. Now, I'm not saying that you sell out. I'm not saying that you become, uh, you know, the the writer's uh, version of Menudo or uh, Madonna or something like that. What you need to do is you need to find a genre that you love where there are already readers and you need to create something which is at least recognizable. You can be as unique as as you want once you set the framework in place that people will at least recognize what you're doing. Um, And it comes down to to every single bit of, of what you produce and what you put out there. It's not just the story is the description of your story, uh, which people read when they go to Amazon. It's your book cover. They have to look at the book cover immediately and know, uh, even though they've never heard of Dan Padavana, they have no idea who I am, they can see that book cover and immediately in, in a split second say, yeah, that's the type of book that I like to read. I'm gonna click on it and see what it's all about. The title of the book has to at least meet reader expectations. You know, I'm not saying if you're a horror writer, you need to call every book, um, you know, ghost ghost town or something like that, (laughs) or, or bloody ghost town, uh, but if you get too artistic with your titles, people will just glance at the title and they won't even know what the book is about or what genre it belongs to, so you can make mind bending genres, all that you want. Uh, just don't, uh, you know, just prepare yourself for a few sales and be satisfied with your art. There is a happy medium. I'm extremely satisfied with my art. And as I'll say, you know, a million times over, um, moving from horror to these dark mysteries and thrillers was, was not only a great, uh, you know, monetary boost for me, but a creativity boost as well. I'm telling far deeper stories now than I ever have. The characters are far deeper than they have ever been, and I just lose myself in all the different places which I can take these stories. And yet I can still hang on to that those horror roots and you know create these creepy scenes and creepy characters and and whatnot. And you know I, um, I you know I couldn't be happier. But you know there are some frameworks that I need to work within so at least people understand what I'm writing and recognize the type of author that I am without even having heard of me.
2: Uh, yeah, man, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think one of the traps that we tend to fall into is uh, as we're as we're looking around and we're trying to we're trying to find a, 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 a say a mentor um, or uh, an example or a model to follow, a lot of times we will look at success from a different time period. It would be like if um, you know if you wanted to become um, a rock star and you went back and studied what Led Zeppelin did in, in the late 60s and early 70s, it wouldn't work for you because that was 50 years ago. And, and things have changed right. tremendously, right? And so I think um, a, a trap that a lot of us fall into, and this happens in writing as well, is, is we look at the path to success for, for some of our literary heroes and we forget that that it's impossible to do that anymore because it's just not that time so it's not really a question more as much as an observation and and a and hopefully a message to the listener that you know Dan you're doing this right now like this isn't this isn't a, a pivot that you made ten years ago or fifteen years ago when things were very different you're you're literally doing this right now and so I think it's guys like you who um, who are very inspiring to guys like me because I'm watching you do this in real time. And I think that's, you know, that, that's extremely valuable. And, and it's, uh, it's a gift that you're giving to our listeners. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and telling us about it.
0: Well, you know, again, I, you know, I, I feel nothing but blessed with with the way things have have gone. And, um, you know, I've, I've taken the time a lot recently to, to help other authors, you know, move forward and, and, you know, whether they're switching genres or they're just trying to make it in their own genre, I, I've, I've, you know, I really feel like I want to give back because there are, there are you know, so many people who, who came before me and were successful. And I was able to stand on the shoulders of, of shoulders of giants. Um, and you know, that's something which I want to be able to, to give back and afford to other people.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We, we really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, you, I, I'm one of those people, man. I appreciate you helping me out as I kind of, kind of sort through my through my own garbage. But uh, hey, you've, you know, you've you've got a lot going on. You you you're as you said the most fulfilled and, and happiest you've you've been in your entire life, which is which is incredible. So this last question might be a bit hard for you to answer, but uh, uh, what are you excited about moving forward? Whether that's personally or in the industry or in your craft. <laughs>
0: Uh, I would say personally, I mean, it's, um, you know, right now I, I alluded to earlier that we're, we're looking for a, a house to retire to, um, after my, my wife leaves her job in, in about two and a half to three years. And, you know, we, we actually have begun the process. We, we looked at this beautiful, um, developing community in, in the Ithaca area, and I would just love to live near the finger finger lakes you know and every day you know i I think it's important when you sit down to work um that you have more than a goal in mind that you have a why in mind Uh, because at some point you're going to come across resistance there's going to be setbacks and you're going to need to force yourself to work and work harder and unless you have that why in mind uh, you know and for me that why is you know can I give you know my wife and I the life that uh that we want you know for the rest of our lives can I always be there to support my children um I you know that to me is my uh are my, are my whys and you know whenever I'm sitting down in front of the computer and uh, working on a story and hitting a snag you know that's that's kind of what snaps me out of it, and you know, and keeps me working. So, you know, no matter how tired I am, and I, I wake up uh, weekdays at 515. And after, you know, eating something very quickly downstairs, I'm right in front of the computer, and I'm typing away because I want the work done early. Uh, and I want to be present for for my family afterwards. Um, and, you know, just to get it, get it done and out of the way. Um, so, you know, having that possibility just a world of possibilities opening up you know i'm not even sure what they are yet uh but um i'm just so excited that we have these options and uh the every day brings the new opportunity another opportunity to find you know the place we're really looking for and that is perfect for us and i just feel like it's coming very soon
2: All right. Before we talk about Dan's interview, just a quick reminder that uh, if you are looking to format eBooks, you can create professional print books and eBooks easily with the all-in-one book writing software, Atticus. It's a book editor with word count, goal tracking, cloud storage, and more. And if you go to atticus.io, you can format your book in three steps. That's at atticus.io. Don't even know where to start with this interview with Dan. Uh, Dan's a good friend of ours, as Zach has mentioned. And this was just a feel-good interview for me. I, I really hope that listeners got uh, inspired by Dan, especially for those who feel like it'll never happen for them. It's impossible. Um, that they, they can never take their writing anywhere. They have to. They have to sell out to do it. Uh, Dan is a shining example. That is not the case. Zach, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, <clears throat> th- this was a really. This interview was weird for me just because. Dan is someone who I met really early on, like through you and stuff uh, when when you know, I was really getting started and all that. and it's it's so interesting because I feel like I've been along for the ride like the whole time and seeing how he has, you know, I like you, I've had private conversations with him and stuff and like kept in touch with him and all that. and um it was it's just really cool to see like someone go from, you know, like just kind of doing it as a hobby and making a little bit of money, you know early on uh he was even you know he was writing in our genre for a while uh you you mentioned uh, you mentioned the book you guys wrote together, which yeah, I'm gonna blast you for <laughs> the the for the tagline I've always made funny for Blair Witch project meets Game of Thrones, which is like find that intersection of fans anywhere. um my next book is gonna be uh, a league of their own meets the Matrix, so um. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so it was, this was, it was really cool to hear. And, uh, I'm just like you, I'm so happy for Dan and so proud of him. And just like, it's awesome to see his journey continue.
3: You know, it it, definitely an inspiring story. Um, I mean, how long do you wait before you sit back and say, Hey, I think I need to change genres or I need to change this, or I need to do that. Um, you know, I'm in the same boat right now. I love writing horror. I love writing thrillers. Um, but, you know, I'm, every time I bring it up with my agent and my publishers, they throw the sales numbers back at me and I'm selling 10 thrillers for every one horror novel. Um, I had a conversation with, with Dean Koontz years back um, where he told me how he fought to get the horror moniker taken off of his name. Um, because, you know, early on they basically stamped him as a horror author and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not a horror author. I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm not, but I'm not horror. Um, and the reason being is just it pigeonholes you into such a small little group. Um, and a lot of those people will come back at you, you know, if you talk to them about this, especially at, you know, the the horror writers convention. Um, yeah, but Stephen King, Stephen King, Stephen King. Um, but you know, as Jay brought up in the interview, he did that back in the eighties and the early nineties. Um, Stephen King's not writing horror anymore. Um, he's writing a lot similar to what Dan had mentioned. He's writing thrillers that might have a touch of horror ato- attached to them, but for the most part, he's he's moved on to, to thrillers. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking at everything that I'm working on, everything I've got coming down the pipeline, and I'm examining it along that that same lines. You know, how can I take this novel that I thought was going to be horror and turn it into a thriller? You know, that might still have a horror element, um, but is leading thriller.
2: I know, Christine, you're kind of going. Not necessarily from horror, but you're you're kind of in that same trajectory as well, aren't you?
4: Yeah, I was like, I didn't expect Dan to come at me like that. And I was like, this felt, <laughs> I felt targeted. Um, you know, because I've been going through um, kind of a similar thought process because I love writing science fiction. Um, and I've been down that road where I've had manuscripts out to agents who have given full second, third reads and tell me I love this. I don't know where to sell it. Like adult sci-fi is a really hard sell. Like the audience is so small. So that's something that I've really had to be thinking about is, well, how can I write what I enjoy, but also what people want to buy, which is romance and, and thrillers. Right. So it's something to think about.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the interesting thing that Dan brought up was um, and, and this was this was something that was talked about, you know, when, uh, Chris Fox wrote right to market, you know, it, 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 I think a lot of people missed who were in the indie community, like where he talked about, r- have a column for what you love to write and a column for stuff that sells and like find the intersection there. And that's what Dan was able to do. You know, I mean, Dan was able, it, again, I, I know Dan loves Thomas Harris and he brought up, you know, Sansa Lambs and, Science of Lambs is a great example because there's a lot of horror elements in Science and the Lambs, but you know it's it definitely leans more towards thriller and I think that he and, and suspense and I think that Dan was able to say I can still have elements of horror, but I can do it within this genre where I'm that's going to be much more marketable and and I think one other thing that's interesting that we talked about with horror that he mentioned was you know he talked about his like paperback sales being better in horror and I think horror is one of those genres where Things, things, things work that don't necessarily work. In a, like a lot of the horror authors I know, like short fiction typically works better in horror. And like a lot of horror authors I know, like are submitting to magazines to get their like those types of things. Like if you're writing thrillers, like no, no one reads short stories and thrillers, or like there's not you know magazines out there doing that sort of stuff. So it's just a weird genre and 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 hard to sell in.
2: Yeah, I think too there's also a uh there's a psychological element to this and I'm mentioning it because I'm personally in it right now like I'm sitting in this which is I'm tired of, and I, I'm not, I'm not giving myself a backhanded, like some, I'm like pat, patting myself on the back, but I'm tired of people, readers and editors telling me what a great storyteller I am and not seeing any evidence of that in my bank account. Yeah. And like, I don't care how, what kind of an artist you are or how creative you want to be or how independent you think you are. There's only so much of that before you say the hell with this. Like, the, like it's, it's, it's frustrating and it's, it's demotivating. And I I was so, Um, I was so happy that Dan mentioned that because I think that is a a component that's lost is like, if you're not going to write to a mainstream market, that's fine. But like he said, you can't have it both ways. You can't have the financial compensation um, and, and do it your way. That's just not the way the universe is set up right now. And, uh, and that's something that's frustrated me for, for a number of years. And I just finally hit the point where I was like, damn, where, where I'm like, either I'm going to try writing something different or I'm just not going to write. Like I'll go focus on my music or I'll focus on something else because it, there's only just so many zeros at that on those sales reports you can see before you're, you're ready to give it up.
4: I just thought it was really interesting, you know, um, we should all do this, but we don't, that he talked about looking at Kalytics or something like that to see where there's a growing readership and, you know, like you said, what format they're, they're reading in. But sometimes we just forget that. But I thought it was just brilliant that he's saying, where is there actually growth in readership? Like, where can I get a piece of this market? So, yeah, it's something to think about for sure. He,
3: he brought up Thomas Harris. Have any of you guys read Thomas's first book? Black Sunday. Oh, no, I've read two of them. Yeah, but no, not that one. When you you tell, say, Thomas Harris's first book, a lot of people will say, oh, Red Dragon. Um, And it's not. His first book was called Black Sunday. It's a straight up thriller. It's about a a terrorist organization that hijacks a blimp and floats it over the Super Bowl uh, with a bomb attached to it. Um, Great book. But, uh, you know, highly overlooked. So, you know, even back then, you know, he took a step back and said, hey, I need to change something. And he added that horror element to the, the storytelling process. And that's when he came up with Red Dragon and then Silence of the Lambs after. Uh, it's a very cyclical problem or not necessarily a problem, a thing. You know, like horror ebbs and flows and so does everything else.
1: I think that where especially new authors get hung up, they get so they get so hung up on trying to come up with an original idea, which I totally understand. Like, but I think that there's a difference between uh, like, I'll, I'll go back to what, what, you know, making fun of Jay here again, like in all seriousness, like the tagline of, uh, you know, game of Thrones meets Blair, Witch, like it's almost uh, like, I think that people like writers get caught up on trying to be so original that they almost are trying to create a new genre which is, like, which is not going to have an audience as opposed to doing like what we just talked about, what Christine mentioned, like find a genre that you enjoy, that's key, that has a growing audience. Don't go right in something just because it's selling because you're not going to have your heart in it. But find a growing audience in a genre that you enjoy and then do something original within that genre while also – meeting reader expectations that is a hundred percent possible to do like as long as you know that genres tropes and conventions stuff and you could stick them you can bend them as well and you can do things that are original within a genre but i think a lot of writers try to come up with like i'm gonna match this thing with this thing and like but at that point it's like okay but those things are totally different so it's gonna be really hard to find that intersection of an audience.
3: Um, I just wanted to mention Dallas Mary brought him up I don't know if you guys knew the guy at all but he was a tremendous force in the horror community and one of the nicest guys I ever got to meet um, I mean he would pull you like he gave me a total lecture on contracts and what to look for what not to look for uh, in exchange for a beer at the horror conference um, he's the guy who put me in touch with Stephen King for, for forsaken um, just was always helping people out trying to, to help them up to the next level he's just he's one of those guys gone too soon
1: there's uh, before we jump out of here you know I also want to bring up something with Dan that I, I know I know Jay probably purposely did not bring up and I know always comes up with Dan but like Dan has a has a famous dad <laughs> you know too and has totally not used that to try to get any s- sort of public po- it happened naturally um but like he he hasn't really tried to do anything and it's in a different medium I mean his For anyone who doesn't know, Dan's dad was Ronnie James Dio, like really famous heavy metal singer, replaced Ozzy Osbourne in Black Sabbath. Um, I mean, so, but like Dan is doing his own thing and and hasn't used that in any way and has built his own success. Um, You know, he's not Dan Dio. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think I think a lot of people would have done that, though. But Dan Dan hasn't. And um, am I articulating that? Well, Jay, You yeah, what I'm trying to say.
2: You you absolutely are, and I think it goes both ways. I I don't think Dan ever tried to exploit that to his advantage. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And and I don't think the heavy metal community ever fully embraced him just because he was Ronnie James Dio's son. Right? Like it didn't it, yeah. it didn't translate either way. And I think what the point you're trying to make, Zach, and the, and the point that I'm making is that Dan earned all of this. He 100%. he he worked and did this. Um, completely on his own without, without that sort of benefit. And again, it just reinforces how inspirational his story is because it basically says if you're, if you're willing to uh, align yourself in in the right direction, you can, you can get where you want to go. Well, cool. Um, Always great to talk to Dan was a a thrill to have him back on the podcast and and to hear his story. So that was uh, very enjoyable, especially for me personally. Uh, So JD, who's up next week? Next
3: week, we've got Jake Bible coming on. He's a Bram Stoker Award-nominated novelist. Um, He's got more than 65 books out there, uh, including his bestseller Z-Burbia, Zombie Apocalypse series. Uh, He's one of those guys, another fixture in the industry. He's been around for a long time. Uh, He's going to share some of his tips and secrets. Um, I'm going to go find my voice.
2: (laughs) And that's it for JD. So if you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Authors, want to get paid to do what you love? Enroll at Ghostwriting University, the only all-in-one online course taught by one of the world's best co-writers, Alex Cody Foster. Learn how to conduct fascinating interviews, craft a compelling book proposal, find your white whale, and build a dazzling portfolio that attracts highly lucrative deals. If you can write, GU can teach you how to launch a successful ghostwriting business. Join now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc., Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.